All right, well, we are in uh, week two. Uh, last week, we started a brand new series in the book of Genesis. And for the, the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be slowly making our way through the first three chapters, Genesis 1 through 3. And last week, Pastor Brandon looked at chapter 1 and kind of took a look at a bird's eye view of the creation account. And a couple of the main points that he highlighted was that one, when you look at the creation story, the account of creation, creation is God-centered, right? This is all about what he did, him alone, no one else. Uh, This is about his power, his authority, his creativity, what only he can do, right? Creation is God-centered. Secondly, creation is blessing-driven. That yes, God did this, he did it by his own accord, his own power, his own ability, but he did it with a purpose, and he did it with the intent to bless, to bless us. And we're going to take a deeper look at that here this morning. About a couple weeks ago, I was out uh, riding my bike, and just out in creation, looking at nature, uh, with this sermon kind of in the back of my mind. And as I looked out, uh, this thought entered my mind. God made all this for me. My tires, my handlebars, pedals, (laughs) made it for me, right? Looking out at creation, the trees, nature, the beauty, the wonder, God created all this for me. But as soon as that thought entered my mind, the next thought was like, no, 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 no. He, he, didn't, he didn't make it for, for me. How presumptuous to, to think that, right? That he would do all that for me, right? He made it for everyone. He made it for all of, of humanity, right? Past, present, future, right? Everyone who has ever existed, who will ever exist. But within that, right, is me, right? Like, I am a, a small part of all of humanity. Right? And the same is true for, for, for all of us. That when we consider creation, to to embrace this reality that God created for you. You know, whenever uh, I'll tell, you know, we'll talk to our younger daughter, Katie, and we'll kind of tell her something that maybe she doesn't love the idea, or she's a little uncomfortable, but she understands what we're saying. She'll say, you're not wrong, right? She won't say you're right. She'll just say, okay, you're not wrong, right? (laughs) In the same way, it's not wrong for us to think that God created for us. He created for you, he created for me. So what I want to do is I want to read Genesis 1 once again, uh, as we did last week. But as we read it this time, I want us to, to read it with this sense, this understanding that what we are being told, that God did this for you. Not just you, but definitely including you. Genesis 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. 
So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the great two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Right? This is what God did for you. In verses 1 and 2, uh, we get this statement. It begins by saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, this phrase that's translated as formless and empty in our, in our NIV Bibles, right in the Hebrew, it carries the meaning of, of something that is uninhabitable. 
something that is inhospitable, something that is unsuitable for, for human life. It conjures the idea of something that is barren, like a barren desert, a barren wasteland, a, a sense of, of chaos and, and disorder. What we're being told here right from the beginning is that at some point God created something that was initially uninhabitable, not suitable for human life. And by telling us this in the very beginning at verse 2, God is revealing to us his purpose and his intent for what he's about to do next, what he's about to tell us next. That over the next six days, God is going to take what is uninhabitable, unsuitable for human life, and he's going to make it a dwelling place for human life, people created in his image and his likeness to ultimately thrive and to flourish, to make it a place where we could enjoy him, enjoy all of his provisions, receive and experience his blessings. Right from the beginning, we get this picture of God's purpose and intent behind creation. And thus when we, we read about God bringing forth the light, right, separating light from darkness, day from night, when we read about him installing the sun and the moon and the stars, God separating the waters first to bring about the sky and then to bring about dry ground, God creating every single plant, tree, vegetation, God creating every living creature, Right, in land, in sea, and in sky, it's all for the purpose and intent of making what was once uninhabitable into a place where we could ultimately thrive and flourish, a place where we could dwell with him, enjoy him, enjoy his presence. But what we see is, is that his blessing, his desire for us, it's not just evident in what he created. Right? It's not just in the bringing something into existence, but what we also see it's in the, the structure and in the order that God establishes, that he provides a, a source of, of a rhythm, laws, so to speak, to, to regulate life, to put us in the best possible position to thrive and flourish, the optimal setting for us to thrive and flourish. So for instance, there's, there's order and structure between day and night. The sun would always shine in the day, and the moon and stars would always shine at night. And it would always go from day to night, to day to night. Not like day, day, night, 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 day, day. Right? Structure in order. In the sun, the moon, stars, I love in verse 14, it tells us that it's not only meant to provide light, but it's meant to mark sacred days and times and years. That there is a built-in rhythm for us, perhaps time to rest, times to celebrate, times to gather, times to, to, to worship. God brought forth vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees that have the ability to reproduce according to its kind. All right, so when you take an apple seed and you plant it in the ground, like you'll get an apple tree. When I go to the grocery store and I walk over to the watermelon section, Right, and I pick up what appears to be a watermelon and I tap on it to see if it sounds empty. That when I go home and I cut it open, I know with certainty that I'm, I'm going to get a, a watermelon. Because God established order, rhythm, laws that plant-bearing trees can reproduce according to its kind. Same with animals, right? 
You get two dogs, you breed them, you're going to get a puppy. Right? A woman gets pregnant, waits nine months, has a baby shower, goes to the hospital, you're going to come home with a human. Right? Now, now, I know these are like silly examples. But what we're told here is that God not only bring, brought things into creation, but he established certain structures, certain orders, all with the purpose, all in the intent to put us in the best possible position to thrive, to flourish, with the intent of blessing us, creating a dwelling place where we could enjoy him and enjoy all his provisions. Now, now, in the Hebrew, uh, there's kind of a play on words that we see in the text between the word tohu and the word tof, how it sounds similar. Now, tohu is the word that's translated in our NIV as formless, right? It's the word that carries the idea of something uninhabitable, inhospitable, unsuitable for life, chaos, disorder. And the word tov means good. So what we see throughout this narrative is God taking what is once tohu and making it tof. Taking what was once uninhabitable and making it good. God looking upon his creation and declaring that it is good. And what we see is that when God declares something as good, right? he's not just patting himself on the back, like, good job, me although he deserves it. But what he's declaring is that what he has made is good because it is good for us. It is good for us. It is meant so that we could thrive, so that we could flourish. That from the very beginning, God had our best interest in mind. God desired what is truly good for us. What's also interesting about the, the creation account, and I'm kind of sneaking ahead to chapter 2 a bit, is that when God is revealing to us all that he did, he's not just giving us a broad description of kind of like all of heavens, all of earth, all of all the universe. But in the creation account, God is also referring to a very specific geographic location a specific place on earth. In chapter 2, he's going to mention a garden that is in a place called Eden. Eden means delight, which gives us purpose and intent, once again, to delight in him. But he get, we get a description of a specific location with actual landmarks. Right? It's not kind of like the Old Testament North Pole right? or a fantasy land. It's an actual location with real landmarks. We're told that it's a place where four rivers converge to, which are still universally you know, known today. And what's implied is that God intended to create an actual place, an actual land where he would dwell with his people. And his people would dwell with him. And they would experience his blessings. They would enjoy his presence, enjoy all his provisions. But this place, this location, it wouldn't be limited to, to this one place, but rather this place would be a staging ground for his blessings to go forth. Right? And that's implied in the fact that trees and plants had the ability to reproduce, animals, people have the ability to reproduce, and God giving them the command and the blessing to be fruitful and to multiply. 
that God's intent from the very beginning was for his blessings to go out, to go forth, to spread across the earth. From the very beginning, we see God's purpose and intent that he created to bless you and to bless me. To create a way of life where we would thrive, where we would flourish. Now, if you were with us last week, Pastor Brandon kind of made the, the obvious point, right, that nobody was around when creation happened, right? Nobody was recording notes and live tweeting and, you know, describing what happened. But this was all revelation that God revealed to the author, most scholars believe to be Moses. And God is revealing this to Moses, and Moses is recording this at a time in Israel's history when Israel had just been rescued out of Egypt, freed from bondage and slavery, and they find themselves wandering in a barren desert, wilderness, a place that is inhospitable, a place that is quote-unquote unsuitable for human life to thrive and flourish. And God is promising them to take them to a specific geographic location, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place where God would dwell with them and they would dwell with him and he, they would enjoy his presence, his provisions, experience his blessings. So what God is telling Israel, right, he's saying, think about what I did. I took what was once uninhabitable, I made it a dwelling place for human life to thrive and flourish, and now I am leading you. I am leading you through a barren desert wilderness, and I am taking you to a place for you to thrive and to flourish, for you to experience my blessings. And thus, you don't have to, to worry. Right? You can trust, you can fully trust that I have the ability to, to do what I said I will do, and you can fully trust that I have always had and always will have your best interest in mind. That my desire, my unwavering desire, is to bless you, is to see you thrive and flourish. Right? Later on, he's going to remind them in Genesis chapter 12, the promise that he made to their forefather Abraham. Look at the, the similarity, look at the, the, the tone of what God is saying, and the promise that he's making, and the desire that he's revealing. Verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God's purpose and his intent. His desire from the very beginning was to bless his people. Now, for, for us today, right, we can kind of look back upon Israel's history and we can see how they just continue to struggle with doubt and disbelief. Right? How ultimately they rejected God's provisions, they rejected God himself, and they would miss out on, on many of, of the blessings. Yet what we also see through, through Scripture is that God never wavered on his 
desire and his passion to bless us, to bless his people. Right? The message of our faith, the good news of Jesus is that even though humanity at one time rejected God, God out of his great love, God out of his desire to bless, right, sent his son Jesus to live amongst us, to dwell amongst us, to ultimately die for us, to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could have a relationship with God in which through Jesus, by the Spirit, God would actually come and dwell within us. And through the Spirit, we could enjoy His presence. We could enjoy His provisions. We could receive His blessing. We could live in such a way where we would thrive and we will flourish. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, if you remember, we, we took a look at this, this few weeks ago. Jesus' message, at the beginning of his ministry, what he would declare, he would say, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, repent, and believe the good news. Right? At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what is he saying? He said, I've now come to bring my blessing upon you, to make my dwelling place amongst you, to usher in my kingdom, to create a, a way for anyone and everyone to draw near and to experience my blessing, to experience my presence, all my provisions. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 29. Jesus would say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God, once again, inviting us to draw near to him, to enjoy him and his provisions, to receive his blessings. And we're going to look more at this idea of rest next week. Fast forward to the very end of Scripture. Revelations chapter 21, through the Apostle John, through a vision given to him, we get a description here of, of heaven. We get an description of, of eternity and as we read this, I want us to pay attention to how similar it sounds to what we read in the very beginning. God's desire, his purpose, his intent shining through once again. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all everything new. Right. Once again, we see God's desire. His desire for us, his desire for you, his desire for me. A few years ago, um, I had heard that one of uh, the pastors, kind of in our larger church network, um, he was going to be retiring from pastoral ministry after like 40, 50-some years of, of leading his church. And 
Kind of what I had heard through the grapevine from, you know, a few people here and there is that, you know, the one thing that he was going to be remembered most by, kind of his one attribute that really stood out to a lot of people, was that he was a man of, of character. He was a man of character, which, you know, is a powerful statement. But I got to be honest, when I first heard that, there was a part of me that just subconsciously wondered out of curiosity, like, you know, when, when all is said and done, like, like, like that, that's great, don't get me wrong, but like, would it be better to be remembered, you know, for like maybe your giftings, your ability, like, you know, you're so talented and, you know, such a, a gifted speaker, or maybe like success and accomplishment, like this was a person that helped grow his church from like 20 people to 1,000 people, or, you know, plant, like, you, you get what I'm saying, like, would it but the more, I, the more I thought about it, the more I realized how, how profound and powerful a statement and a testimony it is to go through 40, 50 year, years of, of one's career and to be remembered and known for your character. Right? Because the one thing about character is that you can't demonstrate character in a day. Right? You can't demonstrate character in short period of time. Character is ultimately demonstrated over a long duration of time. Right? It's, it's who we are. It's how we are when, when things are good and things are bad, when things are easy, when things are hard, when things go our way and things don't go our way, when we're around people we like and we're around people we struggle to like, how we are in public, how we are in private, that one's character is ultimately demonstrated over a duration of time. And thus to go 40, 50, 60 years and to be known for your character in a positive way right, is, is a powerful, profound testimony, a statement. And as we look through Scripture, as we start from the very beginning and we make our way through, what we see come through over and over is the character of God. Not only his power, not only his ability, but his his heart, his desire for you, and his desire for me. And what I hope is made clear to you this morning is just how deeply God loves you and his unwavering, relentless pursuit and desire to, to bless you, to see you thrive, to see you flourish. Last week, I celebrated my, my 44th birthday, and, you know, one of the things that I kind of, I look forward to, to the most um, on things like birthdays or, say, Father's Day or Christmas, uh, in addition to donuts, are, are the cards that I get from my kids, right? are the kind of the homemade, handwritten cards that I get from my kids, and, you know, just telling me about certain things that, that I do or I've done that have blessed them, in a sense. Right? And as a parent, to, to, to see your kids rejoicing in something that you did, right, that brings us joy. Right? That, that brings us delight in a way that is hard to even articulate. You know, and I believe it's just a tiny glimpse of the kind of joy and the kind of delight that God feels when he 
blesses us and when we rejoice and when we delight in his blessing. Right? So it's the heart of a father, the character of God, to want to bless us because it brings him joy. It brings him delight when we can receive those blessings. So whether you are new to church this morning, maybe you're just kind of checking things out and we so appreciate and admire that, or whether you are a longtime believer, disciple of Jesus, whether you are someone who's struggling, there is nothing you can do to change the way God feels about you. There is nothing you can do to get God to love you less or to lessen his desire to, to bless you. Because it's, it's, it's who he is. It's who he's always been. It's who he always will be. The following Jesus is not checking off a list of rules that we need to, to follow. It's not about gritting our teeth and forcing ourselves to do things that we don't want to do. But following Jesus is ultimately about trusting that he is good, that he is gracious, that he loves us and truly desires what is good for us, that he not only has the ability to do what is good, but the genuine desire to do what is good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. This doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we'll get everything that, that we want. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times where we disagree with God in terms of what's good for us and what's, what's not good for us. But what we see throughout Scripture from the very beginning is God creating with the intent to do what is good for us to bless us, to see us thrive, to see us flourish. So if you're you know, new to this, our hope and our prayer is that you would be convinced that there is a God who loves you, deeply loves you, and a God who genuinely desires to bless you. For those of us who are believers, you know, maybe we're going through a season that, that's hard and difficult right now. Uh, maybe there are certain opportunities that we're, we're considering that just seem terrifying, intimidating, overwhelming. Maybe there's just some things that God has put on our heart that, that's just hard right now. It's just heavy. And I don't say this as kind of like a, a cliché, Right? But, it, but it's in those moments to, to be reminded that we do have a God who is with us, who dwells amongst us. We have a God who is for us. We have a God who loves us, a God who delights in us, and a God who is working as we speak for our good, for our benefit. And the reason we can have this hope, the reason we can have this faith, the reason we can have this confidence 
is because it's simply who God is. It's who he's always been from the very beginning. It's who he is this very moment. And it's who he will always be for the rest of eternity. Will you pray with me?